short scripture verse today from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. We continue to look together at the Ten Commandments. We are now on a new commandment. This is the Ninth Commandment. And the best way I have for remembering mine is lying. It somewhat rhymes with lying. Nine, lying. Therefore, the Ninth Commandment is simply put in Exodus 20, verse 16. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that as we come to your word together this morning, that you would impress upon our hearts that your word is holy, that considering your word is a part of considering the person of God, learning about who you are, growing in our knowledge of you, not just the head knowledge, but the heart knowledge, which is growing in our relationship with you. Teach us what you have for us to learn through the work and power of your Holy Spirit. Impress upon our hearts those convictions that need to purify us and those, uh, those words and those messages that need to spur us on towards renewed holiness and sanctification. Lord, I pray that my words would be faithful and in keeping with your word because your word alone is true, holy, and just. In Jesus' name, amen. In Don Cole's commentary titled On Good Taste of Friday, January 19th, 96, this radio talk show host and former pastor who answers all and sundry questions relating to the Bible and Christian life. I don't know if you've heard him. He's on WHCB, I think, which is 91.5 FM, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, somewhere thereabouts. But he's out of Chicago, and uh, he's on, I think, WMBI, which is Moody Bible Institute Station. He had the following to say about the erosion of standards of decency in verbal expression. He said this, I'm too old and stubborn to care if some people sneer at my attitudes. John Stossel of the 2020 television program thinks nothing of children who spout profanity. They're just words, he says. Stossel recorded the language of children between six and eight years of age in middle class homes, quote, where kids swore a blue streak and the parents were tolerant, end quote. The words had to be bleeped on television. <clears throat> Nevertheless, Stossel said, quote, they're just words, end quote. Don Cole continues to say, not quite. They're words, all right, but they are the wrong words, and kids who use them should have their mouths washed out with soap. Words are not just noises, and they are not morally neutral. He goes on to quote Jesus, who said, Men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. The context suggests that the words Jesus was talking about were words about him, not ordinary small talk. But it makes the point that words count. <clears throat> they are not just words. The Bible says much about words. It speaks of life-giving words, words aptly spoken, worthy words, worthless words, and etc. 
What a pity, he continues to say, that America as a society, including young and old, increasingly is using vulgar words, obscene words, vile words, objectionable words in ordinary discourse. Now, Cole is obviously speaking of the use of crude and vulgar words in expression and the usage of blasphemous words also. But we could as easily transfer the topic of the Ninth Commandment into his discourse, his commentary, and see it make exactly the same sense and apply in exactly the same way. People nowadays treat lies and the defaming of a neighbor, in other words, telling stories that harm a neighbor's reputation, as commonplace today also, just as they treat filthy words as commonplace. In the same way that Donald Cole concluded this article by lamenting the impact that TV has had upon the filthy language of our nation and our kids, and that's part of the article that I didn't read, we could, can, and will point directly to TV as a major culprit in promoting lies, slander, and the giving of false testimony against a neighbor today. But at the same time, we point to the effects of TV on our culture. We can't point to TV and place the blame there. You and I must take personal, direct responsibility for its effects upon us and our culture and our children if we allow it to spread its filth in our homes. What about the sitcoms, for instance? All you have to do is see an ad for one of them. You quickly get the idea that they are based upon juvenile humor and conversation. The kind of conversation and repartee, back and forth dialogue, that used to fascinate me and probably a number of us when we were adolescents. When for a short time I, for instance, thought the skill some kids had for putting everyone else down was a real witty talent. (laughs) The canned laughter. Now, I call it canned laughter because we might want to give the people, well, give people in general the benefit of the doubt that they don't have an audience watching those sitcoms being taped and laughing when the laughter is played. But, of course, it probably is real laughter. The laughter comes on whenever one person scores a direct put-down hit upon another. The better the hit, the louder the laughter. So's your ma! Ha 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 ha! Is it funny? No. Look then at the soap operas. And I hope that we all have better things to do than to look at the soap operas. But they major in the same sort of relational sickness, built upon lies and deception, character assassination, bearing of false witness, sexual liaisons outside of marriage, which, of course, then have to be built upon further lies and deception. Is it any wonder when the people of America are being fed a diet such as this that, for instance, during our last presidential election, the media, arguably successfully or not, moved all debate or sought to move all debate away from issues of morality and principle onto other issues? We like to dabble in the philosophy of subjective truth these days. What is truth? 
What is true can be true for you. But it, it doesn't have to be true for me. And I can say, that's fine, that's true for you, but it isn't for me. Now, does that make any sense? Of course not. It should be no wonder when there is such moral relativism, such casting aside of the moorings of discussion and conversation and life in general, that our culture is adrift. There are no accepted standards. And this kind of gets in the way of contracts, agreements, marriages, and any sort of personal relationships. When people have not agreed on the ground rules, any agreement that is established can change in no time whatsoever. <clears throat> so this is the context in which we move to examine the Ninth Commandment. Yes, bearing false witness or testimony is a real problem in our culture, but if we are honest about it, we recognize that it strikes a lot closer to home than just hitting the cultural as an impersonal you out there, because it comes home to each one of us as individuals. It gets personal. <clears throat> Most of us have at one time or another been on both the giving and receiving end of the breaking of this, the ninth commandment. Like it or not, we've been the subject of false testimony about us in one form or another. Can you remember a time when someone told a lie about you? Told something about you that wasn't quite true? Just a shade off. But failed to say something about you that needed to be said. Every single one of us has been in those circumstances. And we remember them poignantly. They stick to us <clears throat> like glue. It's very difficult to get, a, to get rid of these sorts of things. If the saying with regard to the Eighth Commandment, which is, Thou shalt not steal, that proves that children are involved in this as finders, keepers, losers, weepers, then the childhood saying that relates directly to this one is what? For, where, where's Paul? It's these SAT people here. No, <laughs> just kidding. What would the childhood statement be with regard to lies and falsehoods? You think of one? I'm going to get one I never heard of before. <laughs> huh? Sticks? And stones. I break your bones, but names can never hurt me. Or however, however it's said. Every single one of us knows that if children are the ones who say that, they're the ones who need to say it the most because they're the ones who get beat over the head time and time again by their fellow kids. You can say that as much as you want, but every single one of us knows that ain't quite true. That isn't really the way it works. Unfortunately, it's also true that you and I have spent our time in greater or lesser amounts depending upon our character and current level of self-control, speaking about others in negative and unnecessary ways. <clears throat> Bearing false testimony, whatever else it is, is certainly a sin of the tongue. Certainly it arises out of sins of the heart and mind. These things are involved. There are many things that get involved when sin takes place. <clears throat> but it bears fruit as a sin of the tongue. Because it is the tongue which breaks this commandment by either saying too much or saying too little. We like to think frequently that if we simply don't say anything at all, 
If you don't have anything good to say, then say nothing. We like to think that if we say nothing, then everything's okay and we have done nothing wrong. We are never going to be guilty of breaking this commandment. But as we'll see as we look at what all this commandment involves, simply saying nothing often involves as much breaking of this commandment as speaking out involves. What then is it to give false testimony? Let's look at how God views false testimony. Do you remember the story of Job? Do you remember how that story began? Let me read a short part of it to you from Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the earth and going to and fro in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put a hedge around him in his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hand so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan is presented as the accuser. Specifically what that name involves. Accusation. That's what that name means. He is the accuser who lays a false charge against Job. The Lord God says to him, Have you considered, my servant Job, there is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. We know that when God makes a statement about any individual such as that, when God makes a statement, period, it is true. When God makes a statement about this man, this is Job's character. Satan gets involved in this dialogue, and he says, well, yeah, he seems to be walking the right path, but, you know, these sorts of things, if you hadn't been so good to him, well, he'd turn back and slap you in the face. Satan is the accuser. He is saying about Job, it really isn't so. He's an ingrate like all the rest. If you weren't so good to him, he'd curse you to your face. And so we see that one of the ways in which God views false testimony is he is not a part of it. He is not a party in it. He gives true testimony. He spoke out concerning Job and what he said was accurate and to the point and proven true by the end, the whole whole course of the book. Job never once did curse God. Who was right? God was right. So not only will God have no part in false witness or false testimony against an individual, but he is also well aware of the fact that false witness and false testimony come from the one who has set him up as his arch enemy, Satan. Satan means the accuser. In other words, the one who bears false witness, the chief false witnesser. It is therefore the Lord's view that false accusations are the domain of Satan. Lying is another aspect of this commandment. 
And the Lord lays deception also at Satan's doorstep. Then John 8, 44. And speaking to the Pharisees, Christ said, You belong to your father the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. Make note of these words. Not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so we see that the Lord also regards false testimony in its aspect of lying as originating from Satan. Of course it does. We know that. But it's important for us to see in Scripture that God is specifically calling Satan a liar. He is a liar. He is the father of all lies. Further evidence is given of how this commandment is directly linked to the spiritual warfare between heaven and hell and the efforts of Satan to overthrow God and defeat his people in Revelation 12, verse 7 and following. This is speaking of the end times. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This passage tells us that Satan is the accuser accuser of our brothers. And that in the end times he will be hurled down and that he will not be overcome by ordinary means. In other words, it will not be steel swords or guns or other weapons that defeat him. But instead, principally, and above all else, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. In other words, truth is in constant warfare through the words that are used by us and by others. We understand so clearly from what the Lord has to tell us about false witness and truth here that his people are to be people of truth. Now, whenever there is false witness or lies that come from us, it is because we are siding with the other side. We see the false testimony is frequently one of the most effective efforts of Satan, the accuser, to destroy God's people. That's what he sought to do with Job. Thinking to himself, I can destroy this man, I can destroy his testimony as a godly man in his community and in his world just by starting to tell these accusations against him. Causing these bad things to happen to him and he will fall. Not only is false testimony one of the most effective efforts of Satan to destroy God's people, he seeks to use it to destroy their ministry and work. Job's ministry and work was his testimony to the Lord in his godly lifestyle. You and I need to realize that if this is Satan's work, he is seeking anyone 
to enroll in his army. He can use any one of us to accomplish this goal of destroying God's people and destroying, bringing to nothing their ministry and their work. Matthew 9.34, the Pharisees said about Jesus because he was healing people, doing miraculous wonders. They said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. This is a terrible thing to say. Can you think of anything more terrible to say to Christ? To a godly person who with the power of God is doing miracles, defeating the power of Satan. Other than this, it is by the prince of demons that he's got this power. In other words, he is as wicked as they come. It is wickedness that is motivating him and empowering him in the midst of this. In this situation, it was the religious leaders who spoke against Christ, calling his divinely appointed work and healing Satan-inspired work. Why is it important for us to realize that Satan is seeking people to be involved in this work? Because you and I must be ever vigilant to avoid being enrolled in his army to destroy our brothers and sisters in Christ in their work and ministry. Over the course of time as I've been going through these messages on the Ten Commandments, there have been so many situations and examples in the world, in our nation, in our community, in my life, that have come to my mind that my main problem in, in, in going through these things is trying to sort through too much stuff and make sense out of it. So if it doesn't make sense, it's probably because I just have sensory overload. Recently, one of the aspects of this thing that has been that has hit us so hard and has been something that we've requested you to pray for as a congregation is that my brother Timothy has been overtaken with this at his church in Indiana. A small portion of the congregation, including many of the leaders, have sought to accuse him of various charges in order to make him leave the church. <clears throat> None of the charges have been serious, but the combined weight of them has succeeded in hindering his ministry as a pastor there. And they're continuing, these people who are involved in this, are continuing to look for someone with a better story against him, all the while spreading their accusations by print and by word far and wide. This is something that we are aware of goes on constantly. It's something that Satan is behind. And oftentimes we as God's people do not want to get involved in battles of this sort. That's too ugly. Lyndon Johnson realized that you could accuse people of vile things. And if they spent their time defending themselves against those vile accusations, you had served half your purpose. Lyndon Johnson was, was in many ways a vulgar, a vulgar man. I'm not commenting on his presidency. I have no ability to do that. <clears throat> many of the rest of you could. <clears throat> but we see what he knew from the political world in the Christian realm as well. False accusations have a life of their own. <clears throat> and it doesn't matter <clears throat> once they are uttered whether or not there is any truth in them. <clears throat> once they have been spread out to the wind, there is no containing them. The purpose and the effect of false testimony is often no less than murder. 
Jesus Christ was crucified based upon falsehood, deception, and lies. Luke 23, verse 2. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ the king. This accusation wasn't good enough. So they continued to seek more and more false witnesses against Christ. In the story it indicates to us, more, greater and greater trumped up charges and stories, putting things together out of context, by innuendo implying certain things about him. <clears throat> and as a result, Christ was crucified. False testimony is character assassination, which is murder, whether a real death occurs or not. President Andrew Jackson, who as happens to most leaders, experienced the brunt of much malicious gossip, said this, The murderer only takes the life of the parent and leaves his character as a goodly heritage to his children, while the slanderer takes away his goodly reputation and leaves him a living monument to his children's disgrace. Stephen was martyred because of false testimony. We are told time and time again by the prophets in the Old and New Testaments that the chosen people martyred the prophets. The men who were going around telling the truth were martyred time and time again by the Israelites because the Israelites could not stand the truth being told to them. And Paul, about him, said in Acts 24, verse 5, again and again, from one place to another he went. And people, because Satan realized the power of his ministry, followed him around from city to city to spoil his work. Acts 24, verse 5, We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. This is the point at which... Paul was seized in Jerusalem. <clears throat> he wasn't desecrating the temple. When he was brought before one of the leaders and was made to answer for these charges, the people who originally felt that he had brought a, a Gentile into the temple with him weren't even there to press their charges because, of course, it had never been proven. He hadn't brought anybody into the temple with him. He certainly stirred up no riots among the Jews. He just went in, in the midst of them and said such things as, it is because of the hope of the resurrection that I am here on charges before you. Or, because you won't listen, the Lord is sending me to the Gentiles. And by hearing these truths, the people became furious. <clears throat> we are told in Scripture, God hates lies and opposes those who lie. <clears throat> In Proverbs 6, verse 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. By this we see that it is not just false testimony, testimony that harms people that the Lord hates. He is opposed to lying of any sort. He doesn't excuse it no matter whom we lie to. If you look at this verse, Exodus 20, verse 16, you will see the commandment says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It does not say against your friend. It does not say against your family member. It does not say against anybody you like. It says your neighbor. 
The definition of neighbor is given to us in the story about the Good Samaritan, through which we see that God's definition of our neighbor is any person in the world around us. People, of course, we would be most tempted to lie to or about are our enemies. <clears throat> this passage, this verse, this commandment makes it clear that we do not have the freedom to do that either. We do not like being lied to. We do not like others lying about us. These are actions that others take that affect us in negative ways. As we do not like this, you and I need to be examining our lives to see where the Holy Spirit would convict us of being disobedient to this commandment so that we will clear from our hearts and from our lives lying tongues, false testimony against others. Next Sunday we'll move more in depth on this commandment to see what sort of conversation this giving false testimony involves and to see what positive steps we can and need to be doing to prevent it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we ask that you would continue to impress your word, your message upon our hearts. We would see that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. We don't like to be at war. We don't like to fight. We do not like to have enemies. But as we are your children, we know that we are at war, that Satan and all of his evil angels are our enemies, that we are fighting whether we like it or not. Keep us from allowing our words and our actions to be used to further his cause. Keep us pure in the words that we say so that we would not speak lies, that we would not tell things about others that are not true, that we would not allow others to say things that are not true, that harm the reputation of others. Help us to be very careful in this area of our lives so that we will bring glory to you. We thank you that you are a God of truth. We thank you that your testimony is true. We thank you that through the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and through our testimony of faith, of faithfulness, and the truthfulness in which we walk, our enemy Satan will be conquered forever. In Jesus' name, amen.